Welcome to the Successfully Unemployed Show, the place where ordinary people become extraordinary by finding the path to financial freedom through entrepreneurship, side hustles, and passive income. We have already blazed the path, showing you how to retire early and have financial independence, so you will never work for someone else again. Successfully Unemployed, your place for freedom. time for the Successfully Unemployed podcast. My name is Dustin Heiner, and I'm here to help show you how you can quit your J-O-B, that just over broke job, by any means possible. That'd be investing, that'd be doing side hustling, freelance work, or anything possible. And we want to make sure that we can leave that just over broke job, that nine to five just over broke job. Now, literally, as I am recording this It is in the middle of the COVID-19 thing going on right now, and I've also put out a couple of different episodes talking about that, saying, you know, hopefully we're pulling for each other, hopefully we're helping each other out, and eventually this will pass, and so I'm praying for you guys, but I hope you guys are doing well, and I know hopefully this might be a good time where you can, you know, pick up a hobby or do something that you've been wanting to do or just be with your friends, or sorry, be with your family um, or something like that to where, you know, you're getting back to now doing things that you really should be doing, but we're always so busy. Now, what I did, I personally cut out so much out of my life that was basically busy work. Now, what would happen was, and everybody's like this, you get asked a question, hey, how are you doing? And the answer, I always hated giving this answer. I know many people do. The answer is, oh, I'm just busy. Man, I'm just really, really busy. And that's just how life is. Well, I hated giving that answer. It just was in me realizing, why am I busy? Am I just putting that on myself? And I don't really need to be that busy. So what I decided to do was I purposefully and intentionally started pulling things out so I would not be busy all the time. That when somebody would ask me what you know how I was doing, I'd say, oh, I'm blessed. I'm doing very, very well. Not busy at all, but I'm ta- you know, taking care of the family. We're doing well. So praise the Lord. And hopefully this might bring us all back to what's really, really important, which is family and which is health and our life and everything like that. And everything that we talk about on Successfully Unemployed it's to get us to where we can live every day like we want it. Rather than being dictated by a nine-to-five job, instead of being dictated by that, we actually are able to do whatever we want whenever we want to do it. Like, we don't have to go to work if we don't want to. And that's something that with successful unemployed, I really want and I really hope that you guys get. And the big thing is getting that passive income. Now, passive income is absolutely amazing. I try every single way. I've created so many businesses that are all passive income now. And in doing that, I literally don't even have to leave the house. My real estate is passive income. My online blogs and courses and coaching, that's passive income. Coaching, not really necessary passive income, but everything like affiliate marketing, um, uh, sponsorships, all that sort of stuff is all passive income. I love passive income. Now I'm going to get into the show now where I'm going to be talking to a fantastic freelance writer. She makes great, great money writing for blogs, writing for websites and, and making money that way. She's even making six figures a year writing. It's absolutely fantastic. Now it's not necessarily passive income. If you want passive income like I have, I actually wrote a book. I want to give it to you absolutely for free. It's how to quit your job with passive income. Go to successfullyunemployed.co forward slash free book. Free book. It's not it's not a horribly long read. It's actually going to be really, really poignant, getting you the 10 best ways to create passive income right now. So successfullyunemployed.co forward slash free book. And if you look in the description, the link will be there as well. So now let's get into the show where we talk with a fantastic freelance writer who has been able to become successfully unemployed by writing amazing content. Let's get in the show. All right, I am super excited to have on the show with me somebody who I've known for a little while. She has a great business where she works for herself, basically. People hire her, she does her own work, and she is able actually to be able to be location independent. She can actually do this wherever she wants. And she's become a friend of mine I really want to bring on the show. So Sarah Lee Kane is here with me. Sarah, thank you so much for being here on the show. Well, thanks for inviting me. I always knew that I would want to do an interview with you sometime. And when mm-hmm. I started thinking of us being successful and employed, 
and wanting to interview you. I thought this would be a perfect episode to interview because there are a lot of people that, you know, if I started or I became successfully unemployed by investing in real estate, which isn't the easiest thing to get started. Other people start businesses that, um, you know, have a lot of employees and things like that. Now, the way you became successfully unemployed is a little different. Now, talk about your business model and how you make money and how you basically what what's the business all about? All right. So the business models, primarily I'm a service provider. So I am a freelance writer mainly for uh, B2B, so business to business or um, financial services and product companies. So it's pretty much me <laughs> writing articles for clients. So some of the clients I'm writing for are Discover, Quicken Loans, Bankrate. They're fairly big names in the, the personal finance space. Um, and I've been doing this full time for about I'd say three years now, but um, it was a side hustle back in 2012, which I actually started overseas. That's fantastic. So 2012, you mm -hmm. actually started writing back then. Now you were overseas. Where were you at overseas? So I was living in China. Um, I was teaching elementary school at an international school. So very much what you'd find in the US, but over in China. So I actually started it because I was bored. <laughs> Believe it <laughs> or not, I was like, I was like sick of scrolling on uh, social media. Like Pinterest, I think Pinterest was like a pretty, pretty big culprit, like guilty as charged. And so I thought, I'm like, I, I got to find something else to do. Like I'm just sitting here being lazy about it. And so I don't remember how I found out about freelance writing, but it was a blog and, and the lady who runs it is a very seasoned freelance writer and i thought oh this is neat so i pitched a couple blogs um and then i got accepted and, and so i got paid for my very first post which i thought oh my gosh you can make money from the internet this is like super exciting let me keep doing it that's fantastic and especially you're in china like you said you had some a little bit of free time now how long was it before you actually became you started in 2012 how long until you actually, obviously being a side hustle, you're not really, um, it's not your main gig, but how long until you actually were to able to make it full time? So I left China to move to the US 2016. So like June, 2016. And the, it never took it seriously. It was just one of those side things. Like, I mean, I made pretty decent money. I think at some point, I think I was making like two grand a month, which is pretty good. Um, but I, again, it was just like fun articles. It wasn't anything re finance related at that point until I found out I was pregnant. And then my husband and I were like talking about, do we want to go back to the US? What, like, where do we want to do? And so um, because I'm not an American citizen, so I'm actually Canadian. And so when we decided to have a go at the US, I was like, I don't know if I can get my teaching license there. I wasn't really sure. And so the plan was just to have freelance writing as a income source until I figured out what I wanted to do. And so I'd say 2015 was when I got more serious about it. And I accidentally got a personal finance writing client. Um, they they read one of my posts and wanted me to write about investing of all things. And I'm like, I don't know anything about this. <laughs> First of all, like US personal finance topics, I have no idea, but I, I'll give it a shot. And to be honest, that's where most of my clients were, were in the finance industry at that point. And so I thought, okay, well, you know what, let me just really hustle for contracts with those companies. And then at least I'll give me money to kind of like pay rent and stuff. And then it just grew to the point where I exceeded my day job income and haven't looked back. <laughs> that's that's fantastic. And that's something that about the successfully unemployed show that I wanted to showcase is normal people that basically become extraordinary. And I think extraordinary, if you don't have to work a job because you have your own business, you have investments or whatever it might be, you don't have to work for somebody else. That's extraordinary. Most people they go to school, they're taught how to have a job, how to keep a job and stay in there as long as they can and keep getting a paycheck. Well, we don't do that. We actually have money coming in. And so you're an ordinary person just like me. You know, you were a teacher over in China, you know, teaching there. And then now you are actually unemployed successfully where you don't have to actually have anybody that's going to be over your head dangling a paycheck. Now, you can get as many people, as as much time as you have to write. That's basically your, your limitation, right, is the time to write. Is that correct? Yeah. So the cool thing is, so I can disclose my income. I make over six figures. Um, 
don't haven't actually counted <laughs> i haven't counted how much i made this year because i'm not done my bookkeeping but but it's safe to say it's over a hundred thousand dollars and so i work i think i average like 25 hours a week so considering that I mean, that's that's technically part-time if you think about it and so um it was very intentional because my son is still very young and so he's only in school part-time and so i for any parents with a toddler they know that as soon as they're home you just like you can't really do anything <laughs> especially writing right so i make sure to schedule my work time when he's not home and so i just i'm very intentional about it um again it was one of those it just started off very it was kind of very accidental like i just knew what kind of life situation I was facing and what I wanted. And I shaped a career out of that. And so it just happened to be freelance writing. It just happened to be the fact that I'm not employed. Um, but again, it's just the, the lifestyle part was very intentional. It's just how I went about it was, I don't want to say accidental. I mean, I did hustle, like, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Oh yeah, no. And it's, it's definitely hard work. I mean, we're still working. Mm -hmm. I, I'm a little different when I invest in a rental property. I work one time, but then I hire other people to literally do all the work. I don't do a thing and I still make mm -hmm. money, but there are other jobs where, or other businesses that we can create side hustles that can become uh, full time gigs. But now imagine if you were working 40, 40, well, most people work at minimum of 40 hours a week. Some people 50, 60. Now, if you're only working 20 to 25 hours, you could double or triple. If you're working 60 hours a week, you can make 300 plus, you know, obviously mm -hmm. scaling, but you can make a lot of money and you're only in the limitations you. So if somebody watching this and saying that, man, I really want to do what Sarah did. I want to be able to, I like writing or I don't like writing. Maybe I want to get into it. whatever the case may be. How, what, like, what is the first thing that somebody should do in order to get into freelance writing? Sure. So I would say the first thing is you probably need to like writing <laughs> if you hate it. Just because someone makes good money doing it, don't feel like you have to. I think I have a lot of friends who talk about, oh, I really want to get started. And then they realize they just don't like it. And But there's other things. You can be a virtual assistant. There's a lot of other things where it is a service-based model. You can work as much or as little as you want. So I'm not saying you have to love it. I mean, there are days when writing can be tedious, but at least know that you're going to be spending a lot of time writing. You're going to be spending a lot of time marketing and talking about writing. So that that's really number one. Number two, I think, is a confidence thing. So if you've never written for someone else before, a lot of people get imposter syndrome. And to be honest, I still get imposter syndrome a lot, even though I've been doing this for, for quite a while, especially with um, topics that I haven't really covered before or haven't written a lot about. And so what I would say is, start thinking about your industry experience. So I actually didn't, like I said, I didn't start out writing about personal finance. I actually started writing about education topics because I'm a teacher. And so I think by the point, by that point when I was pitching clients in 2012, I had taught for about, I think about six years at that point. And so, and I had a unique advantage. I was like, okay, there's a lot of textbook companies that are looking for ESL um, materials. And so I pitch it as, Hey, I am living in China. I'm actually teaching students whose first language isn't English. Most of them, right. There's a lot of other expat kids like from Russia and Europe and all those things. And so you leverage what you've got. I think that's really the main thing is leverage what you've got. I mean, you can, you can always seek the advice of someone who to teach you how to pitch well, but just because you don't have, you know, cut and dry, like writing experience doesn't mean you can't do it. And I would say, just keep going. <laughs> there have been times where I would pitch. I mean, I remember one time I pitched like 200 companies in a month and I didn't get a single yes. And that was really disheartening. Um, I, you know, and like not, no response. Like I got mostly no's and a couple of no responses. But it was one of those things where I knew that if I just kept emailing and kept calling and all of that, that someone would say yes. Um, and people have obviously because I'm still here, right? <laughs> yeah. So with my business, Master Passive Income, I get people emailing me all the time. Hey, I'd like to write for you. Now it, it's probably I should be nicer and actually reply and say no, thank you. I just I get so many of them. I just get tired of replying. So I just like okay, move on and move move on from that. But so if somebody were to get started and they haven't ever pitched anybody, they've never written anything. Would it be a good idea to create your own site and start writing just so you get the writing out? Like, what are your thoughts about developing something so that you have as a portfolio or something like that so somebody else can see what you've already done? Yeah, yeah, you can certainly create your own site. 
if you feel like you're going to get really bogged down by the tech stuff and starting your own website, just go on medium.com. You can set up an account within like, I think five minutes and you can start publishing things and just start practicing. And at that point you might not have, probably won't have an audience. So it really doesn't matter if you think your writing stinks. You can even go on LinkedIn if you have a LinkedIn profile and start writing about topics. It could even be topics that you want to be hired for. So let's say you're a business writer and you have a lot of knowledge in selling, I don't know, washing machines, for example, then maybe you could start writing articles that you think clients will want to hire you for. So don't feel like like writing anything, but write, write, write for the job that you want or write for the position that you want. Um, something else that I do suggest, it, it's one of those, it's up to you if you feel like you want to do it because there's kind of controversy around it, is um, write for free. So you can write, you can actually pitch other blogs that they may not pay you, but maybe they're a big platform. And so you can do something called a guest post where you write a blog post for them and then they will um, publish it for you. Or you can go to nonprofits and volunteer your time and just say, hey, I want to write an article in exchange for testimonial and I want a piece in my portfolio. So you can do things like that. Um, That way, when you do reach out to clients, you can say, hey, I've actually been published somewhere. I've gone through the editorial process. And then you can also, you know, obviously show them links to the, the Medium post or whatever, um, you know, your own platform as well. That's a great idea. I love all that. And so when you're getting started, how much do you think, okay, you've already got a couple guest posts out there. You've got a company, a website to actually say, yes, I'll let you post, you know, you write something, I'll post it on there. You've started, you've done things for free, which I personally think that's a great way to get your foot in the door, but I'm not a freelance writer, so don't take my word for it. But uh, it's a good way to get your foot in the door. People would actually know who you are and all that sort of stuff. When, at what point would you suggest that somebody should start requesting, hey, I want to write for you, but I do charge. At what point should you start doing that? And then as well as what should you start with charging? So good questions. I would say, don't be afraid to pitch early and pitch often. If you already have a few clips, um, clips are just pieces in your portfolio. So if you, let's say you wrote three articles on Medium and you feel like you want to start pitching with that, go ahead. If you wrote one piece for nonprofit and you want to pitch, go ahead. And it's one of those things, and I say that because I think people feel like they have to have the perfect amount of like pieces of writing to start pitching and all of that. You, you don't. There are actually quite a lot of places where they will actually accept an art, article assignment or offer you one based on your email alone. So, for example, let's say a ma- magazine. If you have a really solid idea for an article and you can clearly – um, elaborate why it's a perfect fit for their audience, who you're going to interview, things like that. They will, they will actually accept you. They'll, a lot of editors will take a chance on people like that. So think about your email too as a business card, so to speak, or as a writing piece. So, so that's that's the thing is like craft a really great email. Um, don't be afraid to pitch. Now, as for what to charge, that is a really like tough question to answer because it again it really depends on your experience it depends on the industry well, we're, we're just starting out let's just say somebody's yeah, starting okay. out you're start- okay so you're starting out um i would say so what i would say is i would base it on what a company would pay and so by that i mean if you are pitching a company maybe you can dig up some intel on them so let's say you're pitching a startup so you can go on places like crunchbase.com and see like, oh, did they have any seed funding? Are there like investors? Like how much money did they have? You can kind of like stock their blog and see if they're starting to do any writing that way. Um, you can even look at someone's blog and see how many different writers there are because if it's the same person over and over again, they're probably not going to hire out. So like little things like that. If it's a bigger company, chances are they'll probably pay more. Um, or chances are they'll, they'll offer you a flat fee. So a lot of my clients now do just say, Hey, this is an assignment. It, this is X dollar amount. You want to take it. And then you can negotiate higher or lower, not lower. Sorry. You can negotiate higher if you want, but typically bigger companies will do it that way. Um, when I first started, this was again, 2012, I got paid $50 a post and I thought that was like, 
so awesome. Like I remember people talking about getting paid $5 a post, $10 a post. Obviously you can probably ask for more. Um, so that's, that's kind of the general guideline I would go with. So a minimum, we could say a minimum, like if you're going to charge $10 a post, I actually have used people like in the Philippines that have charged $10 to write a post. Now I have to do a lot of editing on my end because I was like, okay, there's a lot of stuff in there that that's like th that what acronym or that saying that they're using just doesn't fit or whatever it might be. It just doesn't work out. <laughs> and so they don't work out the best. But if you're a decent writer, I would say I would easily pay somebody $50 to write a good article that's going to help my business in the long run. Now, I would personally think, it could be a good like ground floor. Like once you're really deciding, I need to start charging. Is fifty dollars a good ground ground floor to start charging? I think so. I think if it's, especially if it's a uh, subject that you know pretty well. So depending on the depending on the client. So like let's say they're asking for like a lot of sourcing. So you need to do like a ton of research. You have to interview all these people. Then fifty dollars is probably not that great because you're so think about the time, time that you're spending like i get that if you're starting out you want to get your foot in the door so at the end of the day it's really up to you what you want to um take like what kind of assignments if you're really unsure of what to charge there are lots of online community uh, for freelancers there's like a ton on facebook you can just do a search for like freelance writing um there's a bunch of them and you can actually just start posting in there and who knows somebody, if you want to disclose who the potential client, the, their name, um, a lot of writers are really, really helpful and, and are willing to say, Hey, well, sounds like you can charge, let's say a hundred bucks based on this information or, Hey, I already worked with this client and typically they don't go higher than this. And so you can kind of get some feedback that way in terms of, of what you want to charge. Um, and another, again, I, I know I keep going back to this, but like, don't feel like because you're a newbie that you can't charge more. Um, I, I want to just really like, a, if you are willing to put in the work to do the research, to be a good writer, um, that's what somebody's paying you for. An editor is paying you for the fact that you are going to turn in something that's really good and that's going to help them make money in some way. There was a really interesting thread on one of these online communities where an editor or some a freelance writer posted, oh my gosh, I, I got the due date wrong and I'm going to be two days late on this article. This never happened. What should I do? And so an editor actually responded and she said, 90% of my writers don't hand in things on time. So if you actually just submit something on time, you're ahead of many other people, which I thought was wild. That <laughs> so, is wild. Yeah, which is wild. So one thing you brought up was pitching, basically trying to get business. And in order to make money, obviously you have to have somebody that's gonna pay you money. Now I'm thinking, okay, well shoot, I got my blog, Master Passive Income, I have Successful Unemployed. Um, I have these sites that I, I've been writing a lot. I've also thought of, you know what, it might be neat if I actually wrote, not a lot, I don't wanna do this for a living, but getting my name out like on Inc.com or you know, what, a big company's name, would it be advantageous for me to write? I mean, do they give you like link backs? Do they like, would I reach out to them? Like, what are your thoughts about somebody that already has a business that's not necessarily going to be a freelance writer, but can utilize this to grow their business? That's a great idea. And, it, and as for backlinks, it actually depends on the website. So some of the bigger companies they will put your bio in there and they'll probably say like, oh, Dustin is a founder of masterpassiveincome.com, successfullyunemployed.com, but they might not actually put the link. They'll just say, you know, the text. And so if, if you feel like that's going to help you in terms of like uh, boosting your credibility, like you can say, I've been featured on Bankrate or something like that, then, then cool. Some do. I think I can't think of any clients right now on top of my head that actually link to my website. Um, but yeah, you can for sure do that. It It's also a great way to build your platform as well, because the more like if you want to, again, build expertise, you want to get on more podcasts, you want to like get on Forbes, I don't know, something like that, then having um, people see your name in other websites can can actually can definitely help with that. 
Yeah, if you're even just affiliated with somewhat, like with Inc.com, Forbes.com, or you say, I've been featured here, and, and for whatever reason, that does bring some social credibility that can actually help you in the long run. So as somebody is starting to build their business, they're getting better at writing, What thinking of getting better at writing, how would they get better at writing? Should they take classes? Should they just read other people's stuff? What are your thoughts about writing well? That's a great question. Um, in terms of writing well, um, I read a lot. Um, I've taken writing classes. I paid thousands of dollars for them. I don't necessarily recommend that for everybody, but I'm very much a perfectionist. <laughs> so that's probably why. But in terms of wanting to write well, I would just go and read blogs or bigger name websites of articles that have been shared a lot or ones that you just find really compelling. I like to read the New York Times is because I want to write in that style. And so just start reading. Also, just read articles that of, of clients that you want to pitch to or the style of writing that you're trying to get paid for. So like if you really want to write, I don't know, ebooks, for example, you're writing reading blog posts isn't going to necessarily help you, but reading ebooks will. And when you do read, don't just read it like in terms of like you're a regular kind of reader, like on a Saturday afternoon, relaxing, I would read it in terms of like, what made the introduction so compelling? Why are these headings good? Or, or even if they're, if they're not, like you can think about like, how would I change this? Right. Um, and then just sort of make notes and practice. So something I used to do was actually uh, take introductions of different blog posts I would read and I would rewrite them just for fun. Um, and just to say, like, how would I make it more interesting? And that that kind of stuff really does train your muscles. And I think also as you write more, as you know the subject that subject matter that you're writing on a lot more, it will get um, faster and you can find ways of articulating the same topic different times. And that also makes you a better writer. So, for example, last year for a client, I mean, I wrote an insane amount of banking and credit union reviews like it required me to go into the fine print um reading all the you know little notes about like exceptions to the rules from banks i called customer service like by the end of it i knew exactly what i was looking for i knew that i already written about this topic so many times and i wanted to find a way to write it that was not boring to me because i'm i've written like i swear probably like 75 of these things right and so um, for me, it was like, I'm just finding, I'm, I'm, how can I write something the same, or not the same, so the same topic different times as well. But I think as you keep writing, as you keep reading, you're just, you're going to naturally improve. I love that idea. And, and I've written four books myself and haven't published, I, I, as it was self-published, but I, as I was writing, I realized I want to get better at writing. And I'd taken and elaborating on what point, one point that you gave was reading the just reading in general and analyzing not like for the stories and seeing how it could apply you but like literally read the intro and see what happened and so I'll give you a quick example um in my recent uh, one of my most recent books it's actually called successfully unemployed um i was thinking i want to make this very fun but also have good stories and i realized i really liked reading two different books tim ferris's book um four hour work week and I was like, why did I like that? And so I went back and read it. Same thing with Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I really liked that book because it really stuck in my brain. I realized how they did it. One, with really good stories that apply to whatever I'm talking about, whatever the lesson is. But two, with Four Hour Work Week specifically, the intro was like some obscure intro that's like, what does that mean? Like, like yeah. I think one of them literally started like, my palms were sweaty again. Like, that's you start the sentence like that, but I was like, what? Why? And that made me want to read more. I was like... Oh, that's awesome. And so I use that in my book, or at least that type of thinking. And so I love that idea. See what actually works out there, what really grabs you, what other things people really love. Because I know Rich Dad Poor Dad, 4-Hour Work Week, those are really popular books. I know they're not uh, bad books because they're bestsellers. I mean, they're, they're really, really good. So I look at that and it's like, man, I could do something similar. So I think that's a, a great, great idea. Now, from there, how would they grow the business? Is it just pitching and pitching and pitching? Like what is the next step once we start getting some clients in, we start making some money, what's the next step to really start making it instead of a side hustle going forward to where you can become successfully unemployed? Great question. There's a few different ways and 
I, I will add that there are times when you think, oh man, I'm making so much money. And then a client goes, okay, well, I don't have any more money. And so, so things like that do happen. So the things that I've done when it was a side hustle are still the same things that I do now. So um, it's all that unsexy stuff. I'm sure many of your other guests have said the same thing and yourself as well, right? It's, it's just the sexy, unsexy stuff. So something I like to do is figure out how to write a really, really good pitch email. And so one of the things that like was a light bulb moment for me, and I don't remember where I read this from, but it was the idea of like the point of the intro, like the first email isn't to actually get a client, is to actually get the client to respond. That's all you're doing. You're trying to start a conversation because as if they respond, that means they're, they're at least interested, right? Whether or not it turns into something else, who knows? So when I when I realized that, I crafted my emails a lot differently. I made them a lot shorter. I did a lot more intel on certain clients, and I would write um, things that I would that I would think would pique their interest. So I remember a client that I've worked with for a few years now, um, I went on LinkedIn and I realized he was like really into this weird video game. I don't remember what it is now, but I remember this. And so my subject line had to do with like one of the plot lines in the, the video game. And then I wrote something about referencing it in the email and he responded within like five minutes. And then that started that conversation. So that's number one is figuring out like what will work, what can get someone to respond. Um, I've done things where I've called companies and asked if they were hiring freelance writers. I don't recommend that for everyone, especially if you hate calling people, but that can be very effective because that's um, a little bit unexpected, especially in the age of email. So um, number two is to realize it's still a numbers game. You want to be very targeted with who you're pitching, but it's still a numbers game. So even though I have a pretty full roster of clients now, I'm always pitching because, again, you just never know if someone, you know, maybe an editor leaves and the new one doesn't need you anymore. They maybe ran out of money for like this month. Like I have a client right now who doesn't, who doesn't need anything till January, which is fine, right? It happens. Who, you never know. So you, you just want to kind of keep that pipeline full. Um, and if, if you have too much work, that's a good problem to have. You can always refer it to other freelance writers. And that's what I've done. And other freelance writers have really referred to me. So on that vein is to network with other freelance writers. Just be really helpful, offer help. You can ask for help. I mean, I've made some amazing friends in the FinCon community, which we both are part of, um, and through other associations. And I mean, I've referred so much work, they refer so much work to me. So that's another way to actually keep building. Um, it, it's also great because let's say you want to get in really good with an editor from a really big publication, let's say, and your freelance writer friend happens to know this editor, you can ask for a connection. So things like that you can, um, you can leverage. Third thing I do, it, it's, it's a bit of a trial and error, but leverage your existing writing pieces to pitch bigger companies. So I started writing about real estate, I'd probably say like a a year and a half ago. Um, when I started writing about real estate, it was like, I didn't know much about it. I just found any client that would hire me that would give me a chance, right? Did really good work. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to pitch this magazine. And let me, and so what I did was then I used those, those, uh, links in my portfolio and said, Hey, listen, like you need someone that knows how to write about home equity loans. Here are my clips. And and so then that was a, uh, I call them mid-tier clients. They're, they're bigger than the last one. Then I go, okay, great. Now I have this company saying, um, you know, they're my client. Now I can go to a bigger one and say, hey, listen, this, this client hired me. Because initially, I mean, not initially, eventually what happens is a lot of clients are looking for if you write for bigger names because they're more reputable. And so you kind of just want to keep like building like kind of maybe like a scaffold where like you go from, let's say a client that's not as well known to like, I don't know, like lending tree, which is a big company, right? So now if you have all these kind of big names, sometimes companies will come to you because they've seen your name in these big, uh, 
bigger publications. And so it's really just having that confidence to say, okay, I've written enough about this subject. I'm going to now pitch these really big companies and hopefully, you know, they'll hire me. <laughs> That's a great point. Yeah, I, I love all three of those. I mean, those are really, really good. And when you're, when you're thinking about when you, if you're writing, if you lose one of the editors, and it could be, let's say it's a good size account that you do get a, a good amount of work from, you need to make sure that you're always having um, something coming in. I mean, you could always grow. Like you said, I love the idea that it, as you're building your business, you could always refer it out if you have too much right now. And you're absolutely right. If you're networking, if you're working with people that are in your same, uh, you know, if you're freelancing, if you're working with people doing the exact same thing, you guys help each other out. I mean, there's so much to go around. In fact, it's only going to get more, I think, as more websites start uh, keep growing and getting bigger and bigger. Only There's going to be only more and more that mm -hmm. it, it's, there's going to be so much more to go around. And so I love that aspect of being able to divert, not really diversify because you're doing the same thing, but you're not putting all your eggs in one basket. Like I got one big website, they pay me. Well, what if that stops? Then you're out of luck. Mm -hmm. So moving, what, what, is it, what is it like going to where you're full time that you were, you know, you had your job and then you're realizing, you know what, I, I was making $2,000, but now I'm making, you're making six figures, which is fantastic. What was it like to say, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and stop this working a job and do this full time? What went through your head and what were your thoughts? So I, I pretty had like an, a cutoff point because again, overseas, you have to renew your contract. Um, I think like six months before you actually, like six months for your, your, you know, current one ends. And so it was like January, yeah, about like, I think December, January, where I'm like, okay, I guess we're moving to the US. I'm not coming back. And so I think that kind of like lit a fire under my butt where I'm like, okay, I have like till June <laughs> to like replace my income. And so for me, it was more like, I didn't care about replacing my day job income at that point. I was making 2000, which is good, right? Uh, for part time. But it was one of those things where I'm like, I just want to make sure that I can consistently do this. I don't need to replace my day job income right now, but you know, $2,000 will pay rent somewhere in the US, right? And so that really was it. Like, so find something that you want to pay for um, that's a necessity. And so for me, it was like rent um, and then kind of aim for that. If you can consist, and for me, it's like, if I can consistently make this three months and I know that I'm, I'm ready. Right, as ready as I can be. Something else I did is I'm really super risk adverse and paranoid <laughs> about my financial situation. And so I had a I had a massive, massive emergency fund. So I think it was like 18 months worth Whoa. of expenses. Yeah, yeah. Like a lot. Which for some people are like, okay, why? But but it was like what made would make me feel safe if I were to quit. Right. Granted, we are also moving halfway across the world. So it's like, it's like we needed moving expenses. Like we had no, like at that point, my husband was just finding a job in the US somewhere. So we had no idea where we we're going to move. So if it was like somewhere away from both our families and we needed some extra childcare support and all of that. So that was, that was like the main reason. Um, for other people, like maybe it's a six month runway. Who, who knows? Like it, it's like, but really like just kind of like, think about it and it's like, okay, what would make me feel safe? Like what would make me feel good knowing that I can like quit? Um, and then the third thing was like, I wasn't um, opposed to looking for a job if I had to. Like by that point, right? Remember I started out because I was like, I don't know if I can get a teaching license. It was really like kind of like this bridge job type kind of thing. It was like, I was like, this is just an experiment at this point. If I can get a teaching license and this freelance ring that totally crashes and burns, I can get a job. So I was really just open to that because I think if you don't give yourself that out, um, you're going to put way too much pressure on yourself and that like, it, it's not good. Cause I, I, I mean, I did put a lot of pressure on myself cause again, I'm like this a type a like overachiever person. Right. But, um, but knowing that like, if I had to rely on this 18 month runway, if I had to go back to a job, like I'm going to be fine because who's to say that I can't quit again. <laughs> right. So, yeah, I, I completely agree with that. Yeah. And moving to another country, especially not one you're from, you're from Canada. I mean, that's mm -hmm. you're, you, I completely understand that. But the investor in me, was like 18 months. I was like, Oh, I can make you so much money. We buy a couple properties with that. We can start making more money. Yeah. 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 No, it's, it, that's, that's why they call it personal finance, right? It's like, what, what are you comfortable with? And so yes, exactly. looking back, I 
probably wouldn't have that much say, but it was one of those, like, we had so many unknowns. Um, and for me, money is like this, like security is a huge value of mine. And so that's what that money was there for. Like, as I think when we did move to the US, we did stick it into some, like a brokerage account, but, but initially like we just that cash. <laughs> so. Yeah, and I, I completely agree with your risk tolerance. So uh, whenever I take on students for coaching for real estate investing, I look at where they're starting from, mm -hmm. where they want to go, like what their goals are. But then I also look at what their risk tolerance is because mm -hmm. everybody's different. Everybody has different risk tolerances. Some are okay with buying $500,000 homes or you know $20,000 homes or whatever it might be, whatever your risk tolerance is. So you got to figure that out. So I, I think that's a great, great thing. Now, does your husband, does he, does he work a job? Does he have a side hustle? What does he do? So he does have a side hustle right now. <laughs> I don't know if he's going to take it full time, but he's enjoying it right now. But he is a teacher. So we, we actually met at work in China um, and he's enjoying it right now. So I do want to add that too. Like if you're in a relationship and your spouse does work, um, try living on one income and see if that can be done. I mean, like cut out you know, as much as you can initially. And then as you earn more, um, you can add that stuff back in. So when we first moved to the US, we had like a super bare bones budget because we were like, can we live on my husband's income? Um, and obviously I'm paying for rent <laughs> with mine, but um, then it turned into like any extra money that I made would go into an investment account. So then I kind of turned it into a game, like how much can I earn? <laughs> so all of those things too. Like if you're single and okay, like you can't really rely on somebody else's income, but if you're in a partnership, that's clearly something you want to discuss with yourself before you uh, decide to go, hey, I'm quitting my job. <laughs> yeah. So for, for me, when I was quitting my job or before that, my wife, start, we started having kids. She was working and eventually, actually, I owned a business. And so she had to move out of that and mm -hmm. um, had to hire somebody. So that was income that was taken away. And so I had to live on one income. So I literally had to figure that out really quickly. And so mm -hmm. I actually wrote a blog post on it. It's on Master Passive Income. Maybe I'll put a link in the show notes. But there was a lot of lessons I had to learn in order to go to one income. Mm -hmm. But that's a fantastic point. And I would say that if you were going to go that route and you have two incomes, I would say live on one income now put the rest of that, like literally save every penny of that until you actually quit, save that. So live as if you only had one income and then save every bit of that other one to see if you actually can pull it off. So I think that's a great point, Sarah. Yeah, that's that's pretty much what we did was that, I mean, when we lived in China, like the, the standard of living was so low and 90% um, of our like essentials were paid for. And I think, you know, rent, uh, rent was paid for by the company that we were with um and then we had like a subsidy and so like all of our utilities were pretty much paid for because we we didn't rent a fancy apartment so like um we were able to save like mad so i do want to just kind of give everybody that like heads up like my situation is a little bit different than maybe somebody who has more financial obligations but that doesn't mean you have to save like 18 months like i did like you know like i said six months three months you know whatever you you feel like would be good I think it's a great point to have an emergency fund. Okay, so we have talked so much about freelancing. I think it's great, great insight. I hope somebody, if, if whoever's listening to that thinks that, man, I could actually make a go with it. I think they absolutely can. So I wanna jump into the rapid fire round. Now this is where we're gonna be talking uh, really quick questions, but they're gonna be a little more deeper. So the first question is, you know, when we quit our job, when we're successful and employed, we have more time. We're not working 40 or 50 hours a week. So we have more time, but we have more responsibility to actually give back. So how are you using your free time or the, what you have to help make the world a better place? Ooh, okay. Um, I, I make a point to do monthly donations and it can be like small amounts. I think I like, I promise myself I'll set aside 25 bucks a month just for something. So um, a really a favorite nonprofit of mine is called Donors Choose. Um, and so it actually, money goes towards supplies for schools. Um, a lot of them are students from low income households. And so that's something I do. Um, I volunteer at my son's preschool every once in a while. Um, I run the household. That's a lot of work too. <laughs> oh, that is, no, that's absolutely a lot of yeah, work. That's, I know. that's a yeah. lot of work. Um, but you know what? Something else I do is I actually like give myself half a day where I don't have an agenda and I do whatever the heck I want because I, I, um, I, I don't give myself that time that often, but now that I've mandated, it's made me 
much more efficient in, in like every aspect of my life, including my business. Uh, something else I also do is um, I do get a lot of emails with people like, oh, I want to start freelance writing. How do I do this? Um, or, you know, if, if one of my freelance writing friends kind of needs to like vent about something or ask for advice, I will, I will set aside time for that. So it's a lot of just giving back to the community that, and, and people that have helped me out um, so much. That's great. And I, I could definitely attest to you're definitely a good listener. So I, after oh, knowing you. you, it's like, oh, Sarah's <laughs> definitely a good listener. So the next question is, if you were to go back and give yourself, you know, your, your younger self before you even started teaching in China, and you wanted to give yourself some insight, some wisdom for the future, financial, whatever it might be, what is one piece of advice that you would say you must know this right now? Ooh, I would just tell myself to like, trust the process. Because I think I, I worried a lot unnecessarily. And I'm not saying you're not going to have those moments where you're stressed out about where your next client's coming from or your next paycheck's coming from. I, I you know, I, I still have those moments every once in a while. But um, I can safely say that if I just trust the fact that I keep pitching, I keep honing my skills, I keep networking, that it's going to return to me in some way. Um, because it, all that time now spent worrying, I could have been napping like i could have been doing something else <laughs> i agree with that i completely agree with that okay so next question what are one or two or a few tools that you are currently using right now that has made your life better your business better or anything like that that we can use oh my gosh i have so many um number one i cannot live without google calendar because i have to schedule everything in and i like mom brain is a real thing i do forget um, so I, I like have to schedule, I schedule it so many things. I schedule like errands, all of that. Um, and I, ha I make sure like I have a reminder in my phone so that I remember to do those things. Number two is Asana. So Asana is a project management tool. Um, and the reason I like it is because I can color coordinate it. I can put like subtasks. I have like recurring tasks I can just set, um, and all of those things. So like I, I like to map out my client work a month in advance. So I'm at the point where clients tend to assign me things farther ahead of time. And so I like I know that in my energy, I can only write so many words a day. And so I, I'm able to kind of map it out. Third thing I use is a bullet journal. Um, I just used to use a, a, note, a really simple notebook, but now I do a bullet journal where every day I actually write down the tasks that I have, even though they're already in Asana. It's just like another, um, it just sets me up for the day where I'm like, okay, these are the five tasks I have. And then um, if I notice that like my energy is not really that great, then I prioritize them. Like which ones do I really need to get done today and which ones I don't. So those are definitely the three things I cannot live without. That's fantastic. Those are some great, great resources. Now, the next question is, what is your favorite nonfiction book that would help us either in life in general or for business. What is a nonfiction book that you would recommend to us? Oh my goodness. You make me pick one book. <laughs> <laughs> you can give us eight. So I mean, whatever you think. <laughs> All right. I will. Okay. So I'll give you a few. If you're looking specifically for freelance writing, there's one that's called the Freelance Content Marketing Writer by Jennifer Gregory. And she also has a Facebook group and she's just a really giving person. Like I met her in person and she's amazing. And it's a great book because it actually is very clear outline of like, here's what you need to do to kind of get started. Here's how you can build your business to like fit your lifestyle. So that's number one. Um, another nonfiction book I really like is um, Overcoming Under Earning. It can be a little bit woo-woo for some people. So if you're not into that, then I'd probably um, ignore it. But A little what? A little woo-woo, like, I, I not like, you know, tarot cards and like crystals kind of woo-woo, oh, but okay. it, it requires you to like kind of think about like, what would you tell your 16-year-old self about money? Like that kind of stuff. So if you're not into that, like skip it. Okay. <laughs> but this is a book that I really credit helping me increase my income because um, there's like, I think six steps where she outlines were like, you have to get honest with yourself. Like here's some of the practical things you can do. So that's um, a really great one. Another one I really, I, I'm still reading, but I love, it's called Crucial Conversations. And it's not necessarily a business book, but it, um, it just helps you have these important conversations with people um, or have conversations, especially when people are very like emotional or it's a really like high stakes kind of negotiation um, type thing. And it's just, it just helped me with my podcast interviews. It's helped me like think about if 
I'm negotiating for a contract, like what can I say? So it's been it's been pretty helpful. Those are some great books. I have never heard of, of them, so I'm definitely going to check them out. We'll have them in the show notes as well. But Sarah, it's been super informative, and I hope everybody that's listening and watching will be able to take this and say, you know what? It is absolutely possible. If somebody that taught English or taught, um, in, it was teaching English, right, in China? Uh, elementary school. Elementary school, yeah. Mm-hmm. Teaching elementary school in China, a normal person. And I could attend. I'm. I'm tried. I hope I'm a normal person. Um, Sarah's <laughs> absolutely just a down to earth normal person. So I'm really glad you came on to show that man. Normal people like us can absolutely be successfully unemployed in many, many different ways. And freelance writing is something you absolutely can do. Now, obviously, you got to be able to write. Now, but at the same time, it is absolutely possible. So, Sarah. Thank you so much for being on the show. So how can people find you if they want to reach out to you or anything like that or find you to actually write for them? Sure. So if you want to go to beyondthedollar.co, I have a few articles on there about kind of the realities of freelance writing. Um, Also, if you go there, I do have a little like freelance writer starter kit, which you can download. It kind of lists like the tools that I use and some of the things that you can do to start. So that's definitely one. Um, I'm on Instagram more than I'd care to admit. So if you have like questions or you just kind of want to follow along or you really love Instagram, I'm on Instagram at beyond the dollar. Beyond the dollar. Do you yes. have a URL or a link for the course that you have that are free um, download? I do. So beyond the dollar.co slash writing, and then it'll take you to a landing page and you can download it there. Awesome. Slash writing. We'll make sure we get those in the show notes. Sarah, it's been great talking to you. I'm super excited about your business. And hopefully people are going to realize that there are so many great ways and freelance writing is a fantastic way. So thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, thank you for having me. Now you might be really thinking to yourself, you know what? I really enjoy writing. I really want to start making money writing. Well, that would be fantastic. And even coupling that with writing for your own blog, you know, do freelance writing, writing for your own blog, writing books, and start just producing content. If you produce good content, that content will grab people's attention. And then Google will say, hey, this person's got a great content, got great content. Let's send more traffic to you. On top of that, you're going to get more clients that are going to be paying you more money. So if you have good content like Sarah does, you're going to do very, very well. Now we start small, we start little by little, and we keep working our way up. And eventually you can be like Sarah, where you make six figures a year, and then potentially you can even start scaling that business to where you have other people writing and you are managing all that sort of stuff. It's great. So I want you to get started. Go and get Sarah's free course right there. It's in the link in the description. I'll have that for you as well. So you guys are fantastic. Thank you so much for being here on the Successfully Unemployed Podcast. You take care of yourselves. See ya. See ya.